Let me tell you something. The gospel worked then, and the gospel works now. Amen? Somebody just shout good news. Now I want you to emphasize good. Are you ready? Shout it again. Come on. Good news. Mark chapter 2, verse number 1. And again, he entered into Capernaum after some days. And it was noised. I love this verse. It was noised that he was in the house. That'll preach by itself. Verse 2, and straightway many were gathered together insomuch that there was no room to receive them. No, not so much as about the door. And he preached the word unto them. You got to get that right there. Jesus preached the word unto them. And they come unto him bringing one sick of the palsy which was born of four. And when they could not come nigh unto him for the press... Listen to it. They uncovered the roof where he was. And when they had broken it up, they let down the bed wherein the sick of the palsy lay. When Jesus saw, not heard, saw. When Jesus saw their faith. Your faith is active. When Jesus saw their faith, he said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, your sins be forgiven you. But there were certain of the scribes sitting there and reasoning in their hearts. You want to circle that word, reasoning. Reasoning in their hearts. Why does this man, why does this man thus speak blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they so reasoned within themselves he said unto them why reason ye these things in your hearts whether it is easier to say to the sick of the palsy thy sins be forgiven thee or to say arise and take up your bed and walk but that you may know that the son of man hath power on earth to forgive sins he said to the sick of the palsy I say unto thee arise take up your bed and go your way into thine house and immediately he arose, took up his bed, went forth before them all, insomuch that they were all what? Amazed and what? Glorified God, saying, listen carefully, we never saw it on this fashion. I'm going to preach today this message entitled, We Never Saw It Like This. Say it to three people around you, we never saw it like this. Now let us pray. Father, I pray for an open heaven, first of all, over this sanctuary that revelation would run its course in this building. In other words, I'm praying, God, that you will enlighten the eyes of your people, that they will see things from Scripture today that they have never seen before this day. Secondly, Lord, I pray for the people themselves, that they will be engaged in the Word of God, not just interested, not just intrigued, but involved in the preaching of this message. We're going to preach the gospel in this room today. And because the gospel is preached, people will be delivered. They will be healed. They will be set free. They will be restored. They will be refreshed. They will be revived. They will be renewed. And you will do only what you can do. And Father, we're going to be careful to give you all the glory and all the honor and all the praise. Now, 
with our robes dipped in the blood of Jesus Christ, we break every generational curse and we dismiss every generational spirit. Throw your hands up and shout, Lord, have your way. Now one more time before you sit down, clap your hands and give Jesus your Savior the biggest praise you've given him all day long. Come on. Come on, y'all. Reach down in there and get something and thank him for it. Bless your name, Jesus. Shout it with me. There's good news in the house today. And you may be seated. Verse 12 is the key. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, We have never seen anything like this. We have never seen anything like this. The Message Bible reads it on this wise. They rubbed their eyes, incredulous, and then praised God, saying, we've never seen anything like this, the gospel. This is going to be awesome. How many of you know there's enough bad news out there today? You don't even have to turn your TV on. Just get on Facebook. Bad news is easy to find. Someone asked me, how do you, Pastor Rick, define the gospel? Here's my reply. The gospel is the proclamation of the grace of God made manifest in Jesus Christ. I'll say it again. The gospel is the proclamation of the grace of God made manifest in Jesus Christ. It is impossible to preach the gospel correctly and not include grace in it. Grace is the most intricate part of all the gospel. That's why it is good news. One definition is the gospel is the proclamation of good news or the proclamation, listen to it, of the reward of good news. So it's not just good news, but it's good news that comes with a reward. Hallelujah. So as you look at all the gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, I chose to begin our discourse with this writer named Mark. And when you look at chapter 1 and verse number 1 of his gospel, he says, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So he is very particular about the personhood being represented. This isn't just any gospel, but this is the gospel of Jesus Christ, specifically the Son of God. When you skip down to verse 14 and 15 of Mark chapter 1, the Bible says, now after that, John was put in prison. Jesus came to Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. What did Jesus preach? Say it again. The gospel of the kingdom of God. And said the time is fulfilled. Woo. And the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent. Change your mind. Repent and believe in the gospel. Woo, I love it. 
He's not just preaching it, but he is inviting them to believe in it. I know this much. Some people believe more in the bad news than they do the good news. And he said, believe the gospel. The ministry and message of Jesus was all about good news. The ministry and the message of Jesus was all about what kind of news? Good news. So today, we're going to take our time and extract from this good news story in Mark chapter 2 a unique perspective of points concerning the gospel. Say it again, the gospel. Mark chapter 2, verse 1. Let's break it down. After a few days, Jesus returned to Capernaum. First word, reception, reception, reception. Hallelujah. The first miracle in the gospel of Mark is found in Capernaum. Mark chapter 1 verse 21 says they went to Capernaum, the place of reception. And when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach, Mark chapter 1, verse 22. The people were amazed at his teaching. Listen to it. Because he taught them as one who had authority. Listen to the comparison. Not as the teachers of the law. He taught them as one who had what? Authority. Not as the teachers of the law. Capernaum. Capernaum is an interesting place. Most theologians believe that all of the disciples were from this region except one. And the one that was not from this region was Judas. Oh, you know Judas. He is the betrayer. Judas is the one that has no loyalty in his blood. Judas is the one that took money from the money bag. Judas is the one that would betray the beloved Christ with a kiss of betrayal, a kiss of love. Capernaum. Capernaum is interesting because it was known for its high commerce. It was a great place to spread the gospel. Most theologians believe that the synagogue Jesus went into in the book of Mark was his home church. In other words, this is where Jesus went to teach. This is where Jesus went to receive. Let me break it down further for you. Capernaum means the village of comfort. Capernaum, the village of comfort. It's interesting that at the outset of Jesus proclaiming the gospel, that he went to a place of comfort. As I'm studying this, I realize we are almost comfortable in places where we are received. We are almost comfortable when we are in places where we are received. Jesus had issues concerning reception versus rejection. And you would say Christ had that issue? Oh, I'm going to prove it to you. 
The Bible says in John 1 that he came to his own. And his own received him not. He didn't come to what he did not own. He came to his own. And his own received him not. Jesus says when you come into a town and you speak peace to it, if they do not receive you, shake the dust off your feet and move on to the next town. Did Jesus have issues concerning reception? Absolutely. As a matter of fact, in John chapter 6, you will find him looking at the apostle of all apostles, Simon Peter, and asking this question, will you leave me as well? Will you reject me as well? Just because I said something everyone did not understand. The Bible says many forsook him. And they said that's a hard saying. What you said is hard for us to receive. Because he said unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part of me. And many forsook him. And Jesus said, Peter, are you going to reject me like everyone else? And Peter said, where would we go? You have the words of eternal life. Are y'all with me this morning? Now we see in Mark chapter 2 and verse number 1, specifically these words. He returned to Capernaum. If he returned, does that not insinuate he had been there before? Well, we know he has because I just read it to you in Mark chapter 1. But there's a principle here. He returned to where he was received. Come on in this house. He returned to where he was received. And I felt this this morning. Power is released where purpose is received. He could not do many miracles among them because they believed not. See, purpose is always looking for a place to insert itself, and that place is called faith. You are received where people believe in you. Where there's not some amount of belief, some amount of trust, you'll never feel fully received. Preaching good, Pastor Rick. So I started thinking about an illustration concerning reception. Here's my illustration. Cell phone now called smart devices, right? You ever call somebody and they can't hear you? Is that frustrating to you? 
Okay, let me say it another way. Have you ever called someone with something real important to say and they can't hear you? And all you can hear on this side is I'm having a bad reception. And then they call back and say, I must be in a bad place. Y'all not hearing that there. I'm not getting the reception because I'm in a bad place. The call ends and they call you back and they say these words. We lost connection. I couldn't hear you. I couldn't get reception. I couldn't receive what you were saying because we lost connection. And then they say these words, I must be out of coverage. I'm too far away. I'm not under the right cover to receive what you were saying. When I started thinking about reception and smart devices, I thought this, you can be a little off and miss the whole message. Say it again, Pastor Rick. You can be a little off and miss the whole message. I can't tell you how important it is for you to guard your hearts. I can't tell you how important it is for you to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling and don't let people mess with you and, and mess with your signal and cause distortion in your destiny and make you question stuff and you're always wandering around. At my house, see, my house is in the country and I have to be in the perfect place to receive perfect, perfect reception. I can be five feet away from that spot and not hear exactly what's being said. You just missed that right there. You can be a little off and be drastically jacked up. Have you ever received that call back and they said these words, my battery died while we were talking. My battery died. Many people miss the message because they haven't been Charged lately. Charged. You haven't been charged lately. You're not plugged in to the power source. Which means you have a weak signal. And the message is trying to get to you, but you are not plugged in. Reception. You know what the Bible says about Samuel? That anything he preached between Dan and Beersheba, his words didn't fall to the ground. 
If they didn't fall to the ground, that means they liked it in the hearts of the people. <coughs> in other words, <coughs> Samuel's anointing worked most effectively between Dan and Beersheba. You know, it's a wonderful, fulfilling, incredible, significant place to know you are in the spot that when you speak, people receive. And you wonder why Jesus kept going back to Capernaum? Because he knew every time he went back there, people were going to receive. That's pretty strong, y'all. This is the gospel. Jesus was so well received in Capernaum that when he returned, listen to what the Bible says in verse 2. Many were gathered together in so much that there was no room to receive them. No, not so much as even at the door. And he preached the word to them. In other words, Jesus was in the house and the house was packed because the people were ready to receive from him. My question to you today is, how is your receptivity? Did you come today to critique the gospel or to receive the gospel? I've learned something. The people that receive are the people that came to receive. It's real simple. People that receive are people that come to receive. Them old saints used to say, I'm going to get mine. In other words, when they walked in, they were like, I don't know why you were here or you were here, but I'm here to get my word. Somebody shouted, I'm going to get mine today. And it brought me to this other aspect. You know, usually people preach this message about the man with palsy. What caused the palsy? Then they talk to you about his company and how he was bore by four, four friends and how that four represents the compass and diversity. And they preach it from that aspect. And it's beautiful. But I've heard a lot of sermons about that. And I thought I'd bring you some fresh revelation concerning this word. And number one is receptivity. Are you here to receive? See, the gospel works best in places where people are ready to receive. Verse 3. And they come unto him bringing one sick of the palsy which was born of four. And when they could not come nigh unto him for the press, they uncovered the roof where he was. And when they had broken it up, they let down the man where... The bed wherein the sick of the palsy lay. You ever heard this phrase, through the roof? Can you say those three words? Through the roof. They ask you, how was church today? And you say, man, it was through the roof. It was over the top. Through the roof. It means exceptional, to exceed expectations, to go beyond the normal. Everything about this story is extreme. Are y'all with me? Everything about this gospel story 
can be summed up in one word, extreme. Do you all think we live in an extreme hour in this nation? Everything is extreme. Opinions are extreme. Everything is extreme. Extreme sports. Extreme bulls. Extreme cars. Extreme skiing. Extreme vacations. Extreme weather. Everyone is going to the extreme. It comes from the word exterior or getting outside the norm. Going to great or exaggerated lengths. It means to be radical about something. An excessive degree of something, exceeding the ordinary, exceeding the usual, even exceeding the expected. Extreme. To me, it's pretty extreme when you can't get in the house and you go through the roof. Anybody else in here see that as ex that's extreme? The only thing not going the only thing not going to extremes in this hour is the church. Everybody else is going to extremes, but the church, less services. Less time in the service. If you go over an hour, you have violated my quality time. Less services, less time in the service, less power in the house. Are we living in the time that Paul wrote to Timothy and said there would be a generation that has a form of godliness, but, the, but they would deny the power thereof? Everything is about less right now. Less church, less time in service, less power in the house, less anointing, less sacrifice, less respect, less honor, less worship, less word, less praise. Condense everything, get it done in an hour, get them out of here. 59 minutes, 30 seconds, get them out of here. Because you don't want them to feel uncomfortable. You don't want to put pressure on them. You want to make them come back. You want to placate them. You don't want to offend them. You don't want to take up too much of their time. And Jesus is an extreme savior who extremely hung himself on a cross, spread his arms wide, let blood flow from his side, took a beating and went to the very extreme of giving his life for you. And we can't give him 60 minutes on a Sunday. I came by to tell you, you ain't getting less out of me. You're about to get more than you've ever. Tell somebody, no less here, brother. I can hear people saying, let's don't go to church. We already know what to expect. That's the problem with the church. 
Let's don't go to church. We already know what to expect, which means we've taken the element of surprise completely out of the sanctuary. There's nothing spontaneous that could happen because we're bound and determined to follow an agenda that was pre-planned four days before the service got here so that when you get in the service, if the Holy Ghost shows up and it don't get on your program, then the Holy Ghost ain't welcome because we are bound and determined to do it our way and not do it the way of the Holy Ghost because the Holy Ghost might say, go in the intercession right now and travail for about 45 minutes. You say, Pastor Rick, that's a little extreme. I am believing God for a people in Oklahoma that will take church through the roof. I am believing God for a generation of believers in the state of Oklahoma that will take church through the roof. You say, Pastor Rick, why so emphatic? Why so extreme? Because Ephesians 3.20 says, Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we can ask or think according to the power, not working in him, but according to the power that works in you. Until we start exercising the power that we possess, we're not going to see anything that's not unusual. We got everything we see is just going to be the norm. Yeah, church is what you expect. That's exactly right. And when you get into a pattern of let's don't go because we already know what to expect, then that's not anybody's fault but your own because you've got to engage the power that is working inside of you. Exceeding means above and beyond, more than. Ephesians 1.19, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us who believe according to the working of his mighty power? The word exceeding here is extreme. It means to throw beyond the usual mark, to excel it, or to surpass it. So in other words, if you come to the house of God where Jesus is in the house, and you say, this is what's going to happen. We're going to get to that place right there and it's over. Then that's where you're going to land every time. But when you get in this building with an anticipation, expectation, and faith that says anything can happen in this building today, you're going to go to take a step and you're going to leap far into your future. But you ain't moving until you're ready to take the step. I need to know if there's anybody in this building that's ready to take church through the roof. Now here's what happens. That's radical theology. And people say it don't take all that. Well, here's what I need to know. Here's what I need to needs to know today. Why is the gospel so dramatic? You say, well, that was Jesus, Pastor Rick. Well, let's move to the Acts, the book of Acts. It means the Acts, activity, and actions of the apostles. They just walking by a gate called Beautiful. A guy is crippled. Time they get through with him, he's jumping up, running all over the place. 
all over the synagogue giving God glory. And you're saying that was for then, not for now. This generation is scared of the power of God. And the reason you are is it might make you look unusual. If the power hits you, it may make you look extraordinary. In other words, something happens in you that changes your very behavior. That's scriptural. That's the gospel. Can I keep going? Mark chapter 2 verse 5. When Jesus saw their faith, he said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, your sins are forgiven you. But there were certain religious people sitting there and reasoning in their hearts. Why is this man speaking blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God only? And immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they reasoned within themselves, he said, why reason ye these things in your hearts? Now watch. The reasoning did not start until it went through the roof. Y'all just missed that. That's the most important thing I've said all day. The reasoning did not start until it went through the roof. No one's going to question church as long as God don't move. As long as it happens the same way every Sunday, we're not going to question a thing. But let somebody get delivered from something. Let somebody get a miracle in their life. Let somebody be restored and get radical about it. Then the questions start. The reasoning does not start until church goes through the roof. What does that mean, reasoning? It means to go to lunch after church. And talk with the people at your table about what was all that? Reasoning means to deliberate and bring together different reasons to question the validity of something or someone. Boy, you better preach that, Pastor Rick. Reasoning is to deliberate and bring together different reasons to question the validity of something or someone. And Jesus said, why are you reasoning in your heart? Why are you getting together and questioning the validity of this thing? <laughs> you know what they were hung up on? They were hung up on Jesus forgiving, then healing. They either thought, they must have known this guy, because they either thought the man did not deserve forgiveness, or they thought the man did not deserve healing. That's how people think about you. You don't deserve to get to go to that altar one more time. The pastor don't get the opportunity to do certain things. Basically, you wouldn't question it at all if it fit perfectly in your agenda. You wouldn't question it at all if it fit perfectly into your perspective of how church should be, how a pastor should act, 
how the service should go. You wouldn't, you wouldn't even question it. But because it was outside of the normal, you start questioning. And I want you to notice the group of people that did the questioning. The scribes and the Pharisees, these are called religious people. By the way, those of you who don't think that's the only religion mentioned in the New Testament that is true and pure is when you take care of widows and children in distress. Other than that, you could be sitting right in church and be the most religious person in the world, which means you always feel superior, entitled, and better than everybody else. I learned something about religious people. They question everything. Why? Why? But why? But but why? But but why? But 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 why? But but why? Why? But why? Why? But why? But but there but 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 why? 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 But I know, but why? And this is what these people are doing. Why did Jesus act like he's God? My thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways, Isaiah 55 verse 8, my ways are not your ways. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. The reasoning does not start until it goes through the roof. But when it goes through the roof, here comes the reasoning. Why? Why? I've got a feeling that this next move of God, and I don't know how far we are from it. I'm not talking about us as a church. I'm talking about the universal body of Christ. I believe is going to see an incredible move of God. Pat and Michelle, I bet y'all heard some of that this weekend, didn't you? I bet the prophets were saying, I don't know what they said. I heard none of it. Okay, well, there you go, see. The, we don't know when, but something God is about to breathe and something incredible is going to happen. Immediately, he arose, took up his bed, and went forth before them, insomuch that they were amazed and glorified God. And here you go. Here's the revelation. We never saw it on this fashion. They were amazed and praised God, and they said, we have never seen anything like this. The people of Capernaum were so intrigued that they always kept their anticipation high. When you look at chapter 1, verse 27, the first time he went there, listen what they said. They were amazed in so much that they questioned among themselves, saying, what thing is this? Listen, what new doctrine is this? For with authority he commands evil spirits, and they obey him. Listen to Pastor Rick. Don't miss this. What they heard in chapter 1, 
they saw in chapter 2. They said, we hear him speaking with authority. When you get to chapter 2, they see him operating in authority. You know what they called it? New doctrine. Because they were not used to authority. You know what this generation is not used to? Authority. We're used to placating preachers that make you feel good about everything. And no one telling you ain't nothing going to happen in the house until you get your faith level up, until you come ready to receive. They had heard it in chapter 1. They saw it in chapter 2. Until you can hear it, you ain't never going to see it. Until you got your reception right, it'll never be revealed to you. Until you can stop listening through the lens or through the, through the uh, fabric of your paradigms from your past, you'll never see what God is doing right now. We've got filters on our ears, and everything we hear, we judge it according to the past. Let me tell you what never worked. It'll never work. You'll never put new wine into old wineskins and expect them not to bust. It's not going to happen. So you have your wineskin, and when new wine shows up, it busts the very thing you're trying to contain it with. And I just got a feeling that God is about to bust a move. God is about to do something that's going to explode our tradition. It's going to explode our ways of thinking. It's going to explode our expectations. It's going to exceed anything you've ever seen in your entire life. They were positioned for what they received. All right. I'll finish it here. When is the, I, I wrote this down. When is the last time that you saw such a move of God that you said, I have never seen anything like that? Anybody? When, when is the last time, when is the last time that you saw such a move of God that you walked out and you said, I ain't never seen nothing like that? I can tell you right now, about 100% of us in here say you can't remember. You will say, I cannot remember the last time I saw something that made me say, I ain't never seen nothing like that. Are y'all with me? See, what are you going to do when God shows up and does something you've never seen and gives you the opportunity to judge it? Let me ask you a question. When did you become the final authority on what God is doing and saying? When did you ever get to a place where you're the one that decided that's a move of God or that's not a move of God? I'm about done. They were all amazed and glorified God. Now, wait a minute. If all is all, Pat, then that means all. That means the very critics, the scribes and the Pharisees that were critiquing what just happened ended up giving God glory. 
I believe the move of God that we're about to see is going to sweep criticism from the board. I believe the move of God that's going to hit the church and hit the earth is going to be so profound that you can't even criticize it. All you're going to be able to do is give God glory for what he has just done. It ain't never happening until somebody takes it through the roof. Roofs are boundaries, they're limitations, they're ceilings. We go that far and we go no further. We put a ceiling on it. I'm praying, God, take us beyond the limit. Take us beyond our expectations. Do something that blows our very mind. If you can receive this word, would you jump up on your feet and give God a big praise today? Can you, can you praise him today? Awesome. Father, I love you. And I thank you that you certainly have spoken this word to my heart. And I did my best to deliver it to your people with the conviction I received it from you this morning. And I pray, God, that you will make our soil fertile soil and not futile soil. That we would enter into an attitude of receptivity. That we would not be so quick to reject a move of God or to reject what's happening in the church. Let us receive. Let us be receivers. Father, secondly, I pray that We'll take it through the roof. That we'll just get extreme with everything we do about you. In a generation that's all about less, give us more. Give us more of you. Give us more of a desire for you. Help us to take it through the roof, God. Finally, God, I pray that you will dismiss the scrutinizing spirit of questioning everything, reasoning about everything. Lord, remove circular reasoning and human reasoning from the very logic of these people that they will dismiss things that they need to figure out analytically and tap into your spirit. Remove the critical spirit in the name of Jesus. Father, finally, I pray you will release revelation in this place. Reveal to us a work that says, I've never seen it like this before. I've never seen anything remotely close to this. Father, build that anticipation, that expectation, and that faith in your people. In Jesus' name.